0: everyone welcome back to the front log podcast we know it's been a while but just to remind you it's a podcast about product management and product design and i'm your host jordan
1: yes uh, i just wanted to say that we still exist and we are still um in good terms we're still talking you know yes. uh, we haven't split the podcast up into um two you know side podcasts um
0: we're not going down the route of jake and jonathan so.
1: No. Wait, did they ever... Wait, I thought... Do they have their own separate
0: podcasts? I, I think they just ended it completely. It's like... They have gone M-I-A. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a shame, I guess. I think, um... Jonathan... I forget. The fact that, like, both their names are starts with J. Yeah. And, and like, it's an audio podcast. I actually forget. Like, there's the Google guy, and then there's the AJ and smart guy. But yeah. then... I kind of sometimes forget um, who's who, like who's the design sprint inventor and who's the consultant.
0: The same. The like workshop I, consultant. I, I yeah. don't even know now. <laughs> and I have their Jonathan books.
1: Jonathan <laughs> Knapp. Jonathan Knapp. That's the one that uh, did the sprint book, right? I think it's Jake no, Nap. Jake Knapp. Knapp. Jake, Jake Nap. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. And then Jonathan Courtney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In Berlin. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. yeah that's so mike how cool. have you been
1: you know it's summer um I caught covid you know the best time to get covid is during the summer which you know was able to spend the whole three weeks inside yeah um, heaving and breathing um yeah um it took so much longer to recover so it was it's pretty bad being isolated at home yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, COVID's been rough. I've been hearing lately. I've had a few people I know test positive for COVID quite a bit. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting rest of the year. But
1: for sure, like I've tested positive no symptoms, and then, mm-hmm. re- like that that time I tested positive with symptoms, so much worse. Like uh. Like, the sore throat um, was so painful that, like, it hurt my ears as if I was eating the spiciest Korean fried chicken um, I've ever had from BB.Q doc- BB doc- chicken. So, um, I wish, you know, milk helped, but it didn't. And, yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you're feeling better now, though.
1: I am also very glad that I am not suffering. Um, although, I did have, I guess, some side effects. So, hmm. for, like, the next, like, few weeks i was just coughing a lot like yeah just not doing any exercise and just like just sitting motionlessly and i was just coughing it was not good yeah but but i guess the upside was i not really upside but i played a lot of valorant because i was just you know stuck at home um this monitor i bought many months ago finally came in it was like a Gaming monitor with 140 hertz, 120 hertz. Ooh, so nice. um, definitely, everything was smoother. And I was gaming real hard with the new act. So I was grinding ranked the entire time, playing solo queue and uh, five stack with some friends. So nice. yeah, that was that. Um, but <clears throat> uh, definitely, like, like although like I used to like just play the game for funsies. I definitely yeah. tried, wanted to like see how far I could climb by like taking things a little bit more seriously. Um mm-hmm. like learning oh I learned lineups on Breeze as Viper.
0: So Ooh, I would nice. like
1: plant the bomb and then I would like ditch the entire team and just like stay really far in like fire lineups and then um yeah so <clears throat> I'm going all out if if that isn't an indication.
0: You got the rat lineups. Nice to hear. Yeah, it's pretty ready. How do yeah. you, how do you like being on the receiving end of the lineups though? <clears throat>
1: <laughs> oh like as a recipient of it, it's horrible, right? Because there's no way you can um, fight back. So, yeah. I think that's why people don't like it. There's like a lack of agency in terms of responding to viper lineups. So, but as like a like a sender, great stuff. Yeah. Um, the chance of like winning uh, rounds just increases. But uh, yes. we are not a valid podcast. No. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna end the conversation there. Um, I guess since the last uh, podcast, we actually, well, in our last episode, Mm -hmm. we interviewed Caleb. Um, How was that, Jordan?
0: It was interesting. It was nice to finally bring on a guest. I know we talked about that long before our first episode when we started to plan the podcast. So it was actually nice that we were able to follow through on that one and interview a relatively, oh, no, just a really cool guy from EA. It was really fun talking with Caleb.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely, uh, we've been promising it, and we finally delivered. So mm-hmm. um, it felt great, you know, being able to keep promises, although it might have been a little late. Yes. Uh, the You know, <laughs> the package, you know, did show up at the doorstep. And mm-hmm. for him to have very, like a very, to kind of have similar uh, experiences with you, you know, him being in Seattle, and then him, mm-hmm. like, him being like take, doing a lot of extracurricular activities together, it was really interesting. You know, him having uh, him, you know, having that path and being able to ultimately choose the cooler of the two disciplines uh, was, yes. was definitely cooler. You know, see you, I remember he was like, "Yeah, you can experience the entire, you know, problem um, process like and see it holistically and all the way to, you know, pumping out the features." So, um, it was cool.
0: Yeah. Working at a gaming company has always been interesting to me, especially like as a casual gamer myself. I always thought, hey, it'd be kind of cool to design the next bit of Apex or design the next bit of Valorant one day. Who knows?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think it's like part of it seems just really crazy how if they tried out like a like a feature that wasn't in line with industry standards. Like, I, I'd be curious how they was able to shoot in the dark, right? Um, one of the biggest things was like Valorant, right? The um, the shop where you buy skins, it's yep. randomized and it updates every day. And mm-hmm. I think the theory was, you know, it encourages people to log back in. And if people log back in, it encourages people to play a game and exactly. just to be able to like fly that by with you know, VPs and all those like high level stakeholders to kind of convince them that this is actually a good business decision you know from a retention engagement side but as well as like a monetization side right if right, right. if you kind of like give in induce some fomo into the skins then people are a lot likelier to buy them so being able to kind of pull in like research about like you know theories you know um how people behave but Mm -hmm. to not actually to to know that it's it's successful after launch is kind of crazy Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah it is interesting like designing for gaming i think is really different than designing like for a a SaaS product because like let's be honest if you're designing for a SaaS product it's not for having fun (laughs) but kind of with gaming it's people's ways to kind of relax and kind of detach from the world in a sense and to kind of be able to do gaming and design and research to support that i think is quite interesting
1: yeah for sure um i mean for SaaS, like you you do try to like i think the successful companies try to instill a little bit of joy in the features that they produce but definitely uh, it it's a completely different uh, it could be the same um users but the motivations, you know, the problems that are to be solved are much different, so uh, there is a bit of difference in expectations uh, yeah. between those two kind of major products, yeah. I guess speaking a bit about um, user research, you know, how they kind of produce those features, I actually started a whole new role um, moving away from, you know, financial services and more into, like, the music tech distribution side, which is Mm-hmm. A complete different beast in of itself, yeah.
0: Yes, congrats. You're, I think, three or four months in now on this?
1: Yes, um, it's definitely a whole different experience. Um, I think there's a bit more... It's a smaller company, so there's a bit more autonomy. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, banking's been solved, right? Banking, yeah. as it, the financial institutions have gone back, you know, many hundreds of years... And with, um, you know, internet, online services, you're really just digitizing these core services. So there's not much discovery, although there is one bank that I think they're doing, like, a kick-ass job. It's called Mm -hmm. Up. I think Up.com. They're, like, an Australian neobank. I always send um, (laughs) (laughs) feature like, of their press releases to Jordan, like, every few months because, like, they they just do things so well. Um,
0: They do, they do.
1: Yeah. There was a feature where it's, like, instead of, like, buy now, pay later, it's maybe buy later. So you kind of like say, I want to save up for this product and by the time I've saved up for it, sh- do you still want to buy it? I think I think that just it it hurts the bottom line, but I think for like a consumer health financial health stand- uh, standpoint, it's so cool. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but sorry, uh, <laughs> going back to <laughs> uh, me starting a new job uh, smaller company, a um, lot more autonomy um, and a lot of it is, it is ambiguous, right? Um, like, yeah. for example, since we're like a music company, we have a music player, right? How do you implement like a team multiplayer um, into this type of app? So, like, there's a lot of answers to be um, answered, and definitely enjoying the ride there. Just it's super research heavy. So, I'm starting to actually. I'm starting to actually try to upskill uh, myself by reading a couple books. So. Um, There was, uh, I'm currently reading The Mom Test. Have you heard of The Mom Test, Jordan?
0: I have not heard of The Mom Test, but please let us know what The Mom Test is.
1: Yeah, it's it's a way to conduct product discovery user research in a way where you don't try to um, accidentally influence your users in a very specific direction, right? So for example, (laughs) Um, the main example in the book was, or at the beginning, I'm only 10 pages in, so not that far, but I'm really enjoying it. But the the question was, if you had an idea for an app, which was cookbooks for an iOS, and you asked your mom, like, hey, do you have an iPad? She'd reply, yes. And you might ask, do you use cookbooks, maybe? And she'll be like, yeah, well, once or twice. And then you'd ask her, the important question is, would you use a cookbook from your iPad, you know. um, And then your mom might be like, yeah, you know, I love you. Um, Of course I'd use an app from you, you know. A cookbook um, is great, and I have an iPad, therefore I'd use it, I'd buy it, and also, you know, I love you, right? So it's... This is like a very big simplification of the book, but um, there are better ways to conduct user interviews where you don't, I guess, force a... A potential um, interviewee towards a solution and then force them to be like I totally buy it so um, I'm mm-hmm. enjoying the ride so far on the books. So, yeah
0: yeah and that's an interesting point because like I find like a lot of the times when we do user research it's about validating point A or validating point B so yeah And there's always like, I find a bias sometimes in user research because as soon as like more users start going towards B option versus A option, you're kind of designing a test in a sense to point people to the B option, but kind of that mom test seems like a very different approach and quite interesting.
1: Yeah. And user research is definitely a skill that I haven't worked on just because I've been um, heavily working, well... My previous job, it was more of a B2C app where you could get away with quantitative stuff, um, doing quantitative testing, A B testing, all that stuff. But um, yeah, I'm very excited to try and not go towards the wrong direction since there is a lot of ambiguity and you can't just um, bet it all on the data. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times I find, especially like when you're A B testing, it just comes down to sometimes user preference like some people like apples some people like oranges and it's hard to design sometimes a test that doesn't account for user preferences at the end of the day because each person is different
1: that is true that is true and being in a smaller company like there's just a lot less tests you can do right um when you have less engineers um so I'm learning so much more on how to be efficient with um, the sprints, which is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Basically, the designer I have to work, I work with, is gonna burn through a lot of designs, and, um, yeah, I think like the the theory always is, unfortunately, you know, design design work is expendable, but engineer work is a lot less. So you wanna get it right on yeah. the design phase by burning through multiple options. So, yeah,
0: totally. yeah Yeah. and i think that's one of the biggest things i've learned as a designer is that you have to go through your options and you have to be okay to throw things out at the end of the day because once you engineer it you have in a sense that one chance of getting it right because design let's be frank design is cheap and engineering is expensive at the end of the day and you don't want to engineer like five different a b tests
1: yeah and i guess unless you work for like a fan company or today it's manga company um you do have a lot of engineer work to burn um so mm-hmm. um yeah i guess for for the non-manga people we gotta be a little bit more efficient a little bit more intentional with uh, the designs yeah
0: yeah yeah being intentional is very important especially like in small companies that's what i found is that we need to get the design right well like or we should mm-hmm. at least strive to get it right and not produce mediocre work given our constraints that we have like with engineering
1: definitely yeah intentional I love it (laughs) yeah um yeah
0: working like in big companies compared to small companies how have you found as a product manager like you being able to influence the product and influence the craft of the design at the end of the day
1: definitely a lot more ownership um I think uh, working through the ambiguity uh, working yeah. through the autonomy is something I have to work with like work through because mm-hmm. just so much ambiguity and sometimes I do feel a little bit um, of that analysis paralysis because mm. you do want like there's a lot of ambiguity out there but you do want to make sure that what you're building does work right um, those totally. bets you take aren't um, for not nothing um, I always like think like I could always like waste um a, f- a few engineering resources if you have like like a large team, but now mm-hmm. you got to be so intentional. So, yeah, definitely a lot of analysis paralysis. So try to try to get as much data out there um, to kind of validate mm-hmm. my thinking. Um, yeah.
0: When you validate your data, kind of do you find that you like validating it internally, kind of like with your teams, or do you try to kind of get this in front of customers? In a small um, team.
1: Yeah, I guess because I'm no longer in B2C, it's more like a B2B environment. Um, yeah. Sometimes I do meet up with uh, users just to just go through chats, understand the workflow. What are they looking for to kind of um, develop that compass, right? To make sure that you're going the right direction. Right. Um, it is interesting, right? Uh, uh, how if we aren't providing best service out there, how are they what what does that unhappy path look like so Mm -hmm. it was definitely eye opening listening to that Um, and then sometimes uh, you do have to be a little bit more scrappy so um, making assumptions with the data that we do have available quantitatively and as well as looking to industry research right? right if something has already been determined as an industry pattern, why are we you know, going against that. Why don't we just not just buy the wheel, right? Rather than reinvent the wheel. Um, right. Cause th- there's a reason why it's an industry standard because it works. And if it works, it just makes sense to adopt it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's actually interesting. Cause I've found like in a lot of, like when I've researched smaller companies, a lot of the times companies want to try to reinvent the wheel to be different, but then ultimately at the end of the day, if it's too different from everyone else, then users will probably be frustrated. In the For majority of sure. cases,
1: yeah. And it really, like, just the whole idea of reinventing the wheel has really got me thinking. Um, there's a lot of like early career advice, like, oh, uh, when you first start, you want to have good breadth and a good depth, right, in terms of a skill set. Yeah. And like just thinking about all that type type of advice. I was uh, like, it just came coincidentally, but I was like, isn't that just like another reinvention of the wheel? Cause, um, mm-hmm. I've heard of the phrase, like everyone should know something about everything and everything about something. Right. And mm-hmm. that's basically like, you should be a T-shaped designer should, you know, have breadth and depth. And mm-hmm. then eventually I think like two depths or something like that. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I don't know have you seen I guess things that don't need to be reinvented that are constantly being reinvented
0: not anything recently it's a trap that I think I fell into as a designer like when I first started in design because it's like as a just as a like a newbie designer in the industry you always want to push like for something innovative or something different something unique but yep. ultimately like if people want to accomplish a task they just want to accomplish a task they don't want to learn a new way of doing something at the end of the day and kind of i found like that breaking out of that trap sometimes leads to a better kind of experience at the end of the day you don't have to be different for the sake of being different unless there's like a really good compelling reason like something's extremely broken
1: yeah i'd say that for the things that don't really matter that like it, it's beneficial to the user. But if you look at the product strategy, the business direction, if Mm -hmm. it like, I think if you want to differentiate yourself in a product strategy or business strategy standpoint, that's where you kind of break out of the molds, you know, stand out with like some crazy features. Right. But then Mm -hmm. I think, um, I'm just thinking about like, I did any access management, right? How do you bring in new users to your product? Things like that don't really need to be reinvented. Like, you don't have to find a new way of onboarding a whole bunch of users, right? You could just just do it normally, like copy and paste from a table and just make that a functionality, right? Um, right. But then if you're talking about, I guess, for Spotify, right? Um, mm-hmm. They might want some really snazzy uh, features like um, Blend, where they do reinvent, like uh, reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. and have it like um you know stand out cuz it is a multiplayer feature not everyone mm-hmm. has it that's really cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, in Spotify's case that totally makes sense. Like if I was a designer at Spotify, I wouldn't be like I'm going to completely redesign how we pause and unpause music. It's like Yeah. At the end of the day, search just want to yeah. pause and unpause.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is like a side thing. I got really upset and I i learned about the broken leg problem in data science um basically um i i listen to this is like me going on a tangent but uh, i i listen to sleeping music on my spotify account right mm-hmm. so then when i do use blend with a friend where it's like what type of listen music you listen to what type of music they listen to and you try to like join them together and see like what that friend playlist friendship playlist would look like i got mm-hmm. a whole bunch of like sleeping music and it's just weird because <laughs> why is it there right um and that's kind of like the data science problem like a broken leg problem where you might automate it but then only a person like a real person would realize that there's an issue with the data mm-hmm. for example um i think it's like i'm faster than you at running right hypothetically mm-hmm. um and if you created like some sort of like data thing where it predicts um, who's gonna win in a race, it would always say me, right? But what if, right. um, what if for one day I broke my leg, hmm. then the the AI might say, "Oh, Michael's gonna win." But it'd take a person to be like, "There's no way Michael's <laughs> gonna beat Jordan with a broken leg, right. right? He's he's in a wheelchair. He's gonna like roll as fast as he can, but it's not gonna happen." So that's one thing that I think. You know, if you're building some sort of like search or data product, where there's a lot like it requires some sort of decision-making process, mm-hmm. then it's so so important to think through these uh, and be intentional with uh, that. Yeah, but that's my little um, little tangent on Spotify not being, I guess, data data focused, and mm-hmm. they are a big data company, right? They have a lot of user behavior on what people prefer in terms of music, and the fact that mm-hmm. they didn't anticipate that, it's, I think, a major oversight, right? They have the resources, they have the scale. Why can't they just fix it? Unfortunately.
0: unfortunately. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. have you used the Spotify Blend feature?
0: I have not. Maybe we should try blending ours together and see what we get.
1: Yeah. Uh, I gotta, you gotta connect Spotify and Facebook together. So here, Yeah. And then I'll find you on Spotify, I guess. Nice. Yeah.
0: We'll get a front log blend.
1: <laughs> front log blend. Kind of like, kind of like an espresso blend, I guess. A little bit of yes. Jordan's f- preference. And I think espresso, t- espresso based, so like chocolatey... I don't. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, <laughs> lo-fi,
0: chocolatey, gooey. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. But uh speaking of coffee, how's your coffee journey going, Jordan?
0: Yeah, the coffee journey is going good. I definitely have improved my coffee extracting so like i've been really over the year working on how to pull like a really good espresso shot kind of just learning about different grind settings and making sure to have kind of like the right amount of the right shot time like it's important that i i've been experimenting like with coffee ratios like i usually do a two to one water ratio of beans so like if i have an 18 gram dosage i do a 36 gram output for my espresso and it's just been really fun to play around with different beans and just experiment with kind of the beans that I like to use in my espresso machine.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Is I, I heard this is a thing, okay? But yeah. espresso machines, your yes. first shot or first pull or whatever you call it is always going to be bad because you need to warm up the machine. Is that true?
0: That is true. And then also depending on the day, like how your grind comes out is affected by humidity and temperature. So usually like if I, I, because I'm Asian, I don't like to waste the first shot. So sometimes I make two (laughs) coffees in the morning. So I give myself the bad shot and then I'll give, for example, my, my mom, the better shot.
1: Okay. For some reason, I thought you're going to be like, I give my brother the worst shot. You know, (laughs) in fact, I aired out a little bit. (laughs) um yeah vancouver's been super humid this summer it like sometimes like i step out of a car and I'm like this feels like this the feel and the smell just feels like i'm in asia again
0: it's insane how hot it's been here this summer yeah
1: yeah just but didn't know that humidity impacted uh i guess would it impact the weight of the coffee when you uh Weigh it or put it on a scale because I know some people they put they spritz it with a little water just to make the weight consistent, but I didn't know that like general humidity uh, would impact it.
0: I generally find spritzing your beans is more so to reduce static when it comes out of the machine because that's what I do for poor reverse usually. I see, I see, yeah, gotcha. I spritz my beans,
1: gotcha. Oh, I'm like, I. I think in the past I've just been super janky with the coffee so I never really like put in any effort in how to make the best pour over so I'd use like a milk frother with that like open tip um, to kind of do the pour over so all my pours would be like super I guess like like water would drip everywhere Um, so very inconsistent pours I'd use um, water from my water boiler so the water wasn't the hottest but Kind of like mm-hmm. getting super hardcore into Valorant with like a new monitor and all that stuff. Uh, I got a whole bunch of pour over and really focused on um, trying to make better pour overs. So been focusing nice. on that actually, and yeah, I I don't know if it's working, but I feel like with more equipment you can make a consistent cup of coffee, and then when you do tweak like a small variable and see the change happen almost immediately. It's a really crazy feeling.
0: Yeah. One of the biggest changes I've made in the past year in my pour overs is I've moved to actually a thinner filter paper. Because I find really? that, like, generally like filter paper that's a bit thicker, it yeah. impedes the flow of coffee coming up. But I like to use a thinner kind of. Isn't that thicker. good?
1: Because if it's thick, then it shouldn't, you shouldn't have runoff on the side, right? It should just go through the main channel. It's not right. a but good I, thing?
0: I use a very special dripper so I also use Ooh. the origami dripper so it's like this Ooh, very nice cone shaped yeah. dripper.
1: I see, and it already has like some pretty aggressive like, rifling right or whatever you call it like.
0: It's... Yeah,
1: yeah. I see. Um. Yeah. I... Never thought about that like that. Because I, I just get the same filter paper and yeah yeah
0: it's interesting too because I also experiment with kind of the cone shaped filters but I also have yeah. flatbed filters sometimes so like depending Kalita on wave. yeah I use my I use Kalita Wave filters along with the origami filters I, I get my paper from Japan so
1: ooh whoa, whoa. I yeah. I don't really know where my paper comes from.
0: <laughs> Sounds fancy.
1: If you, I guess, what's the difference between regular paper and Japanese paper, Jordan?
0: Oh, there's. A, it's probably not that much of a difference. I just find like the, this brand that I like the most is from Japan. But I just like to be called? fancy and say it's imported. From share Japan.
1: the share the wealth, Jordan. What's it? What's the brand called?
0: I will share the wealth. Oh, let me let me pull it up.
1: Oh, I mean for the viewers.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Or me, listeners. Uh, yes. Yes. I'll edit this time out. So. I see. It is called... Origami Coffee Paper Filter... With the word Japan on it.
1: Wait, so it's (laughs) just from the origami brand? It just says
0: Japan? I believe it's the origami brand. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It is uh, interesting that paper impacts... Um... The tastes, like the result of the coffee, because, um, mm-hmm. I know that there is that a- Acer, aether, like a- aether, f- paper for um, the Aeropress, right? Um, mm-hmm. done by like a local, local coffee dude. Um, who mm-hmm. actually closed his cafe recently, Harkin, which was unfortunate. Yes. Um But him being like, I guess, like a very like professional, very knowledgeable. AeroPress dude he's like yo the paper that AeroPress makes horrible I'm going to make my own which is like a really cool entrepreneurship story so yeah
0: yeah it's interesting I've actually stopped using my AeroPress for a bit right now why is that? I find like the coffee is better from an origami dripper just as a personal thing personal thing I, I still i still like my Aeropress better than a french press though i will say but i tend to use my Aeropress less especially in the morning when i'm in a rush for work too because Aeropress Aeropress yeah. takes a bit to clean up so yeah that's probably think, the reason why
1: <laughs> i think there's probably something in there like um you know that preference was like was in you all along or something like that because it feels like you're you're you have a preference towards um, coffee making um, routines that have more input from yourself, right? Because aeropress, yeah. French press, it—it's a very consistent way of making things. Whereas
0: yeah.
1: you can't—I think there's a lot more of like a skill ceiling when you do your your V60, your your origami, and that sort of stuff. And may, maybe mm-hmm. you're able to draw out more of the flavors because of that ceiling, right? That skill ceiling. Yeah. Um, yeah. But i'd say that like if someone wanted to get into coffee right like and you wanted to make it it as accessible as possible uh what would you pr- uh, probably recommend them
0: Ooh. well when i started i scoured youtube but i usually go direct to coffee companies because a lot of the times companies like rogue wave they have tutorials online on how to properly like brew their coffee and then from there, right. I've, I've begun to adapt my recipes based on... But
1: would you recommend V60 shops? or AeroPress or Kalita or Oof. Drip or Instant or get a, you know, a couple thousand V60. dollar espresso machine?
0: V60 is a good V60? Point. Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Why not a AeroPress?
0: So I would say, like, I find that if you want because i like to share coffee with people like, i like to make coffee yep. like for like my family and i and i find that it's a lot more fun to make a bigger it's easier to do like a bigger pot of coffee when you do like a v60 for example like if you're making yep. coffee for two like doing AeroPress, it's it's a lot of time it's a time consuming process because it's only like one cup at a time so if you want to make coffee for four people you have to do like four different Aero presses and four different presses and it can take yep. up some time but kind of like with a pour over you can do you can you only have to do it like twice for example to get kind of that coffee out
1: <laughs> gotcha i feel like this is like a only child mentality versus someone with siblings like you're like oh mm-hmm. you know it's the social aspect is so important <laughs> whereas mm-hmm. i just make coffee for myself right so right. i was just thinking like oh poor, um the aeropress, press i would recommend that immediately because it's something that you can make and easily make and consist and have like a consistent brew every time uh, instead of like, Oh, there's this, a sharing aspect. I'm like, what is sharing? I didn't learn that word until I was uh, 17, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, We do have a little bit of time left. Um, And I just wanted to continue this conversation because I feel like um, just talking about like, growing up like as a only child versus someone with siblings I feel like yeah. um everyone's um upbringing right kind yes. of led them unknowingly into or towards like the career path that they are so like for example for me um in my English classes as like a infant child um I read a lot of like storybooks and i would always like, discuss with the teacher like similarities right um between like different characters and plots and that kind mm-hmm. of helps me think about you know um weirdly um how you can apply like features from like doing product teardowns really well understanding the differences and how maybe some sort of feature unrelated to um like uh, you could apply it to another product yeah. and that was yeah I was wondering what you thought about nurture you know your upbringing and bringing you along into the world of uh design
0: yeah i think that especially in product design you have to think about everyone so like for me having worked in the past with accessibility and um yeah especially with accessibility you have to make sure that the, what you do in design includes everyone and i feel like as an older brother you have to include your younger brotherhood so to me I think that's definitely shaped me as a designer like if I like if I need if I design something I want to make sure that everyone will be able to use it and everyone will have the pretty much the same experience across the board and especially like for me like I'm into design systems and design and about design systems is all about kind of helping create continuity between development and design and sharing like those resources between designers and developers so kind of back to that whole sharing aspect I think definitely has yeah. helped shape yeah. me as a designer <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah for sure um, definitely I think having a sibling instills so much empathy therefore you know Jordan pretty pretty empathetic yeah. person um, I don't know about myself I had to I guess slowly learn that over the years um yeah. I do remember M- when I was seven, right? And I was hanging out with my nephew, who was three. And we were, like, yes. basically the same size. I was like, why is he unable to, like, think like I am? Right? And that's just, like, it's because, like, I haven't been conditioned to, like, like think about um, perspectives in other people's shoes. And then, yeah, so right. it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, you know... um, I'm looking at the the timer we're at 38 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, I do want to talk more about uh, with you about design systems in another episode but uh, yes. it looks like we went through you know all, all of our topics that we wanted to cover today and more so um, And more yes. yeah and more <laughs> so uh, great chat with you Jordan and um, yes. you know maybe we can talk about design systems in a couple weeks in a month. You know, um, maybe bring on. on a guest. Bring on a guest. Yes, another design one. Design systems guest. Design systems guest. Uh, where do you do? Uh, do you have one on hand or? I, th-
0: I think I might know someone. We'll oh. see. Jordan we'll knows everyone. Tuned. He's a uh,
1: very well known in the Vancouver
0: design industry. Nah. I think. Nah, 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 nah.
1: I think you should start a design BC group or yeah association. Yeah.
0: Do it maybe. Do it. We'll see. We'll see, we'll see. Cool.
1: I'm your co host, Michael.
0: And I'm your other host, Jordan. Not again. And we'll see you all (laughs) next time. Yeah, cool.
1: Bye.